odds are all against me. I'm ready to go, burning it down. They ain't noticed till the temperature rose. Bless the energy. Then we erupt in a blaze. Mama save us. I swear the baby's lately crazy. Hi, I'm James Anderson Foster, and you're listening to Sorceress, a weekly podcast of awesome serialized urban fantasy fiction written by amazing authors, performed for you by professional narrators, and brought to you by SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy. Chapter 23 Shit Hole Jordan looked over at his brother when he spoke and then out at the dry Texas landscape surrounding them. He couldn't disagree. The sun was setting over hills of dirt, stone, and tough grasses, but there was still enough light to illuminate the details of the small town. Buildings, most of them boarded-up businesses, lined the potholed main street like something from an old movie. Built mostly from old dry wood and brick, the town was nearly a cliché of the classic western ghost town, save for the utility poles and occasional beat-up car of one sort or another. Letitia wasn't a dead town, but its thousand or so occupants wouldn't be able to keep it on life support for much longer. Jordan leaned forward and tapped at the glass partition separating them from the progeny driver who'd met them at the San Antonio airport. The thick glass rolled down, and the driver, a heavy-set man in his forties, said, Yes, sir? How much longer? Jordan asked. About ten minutes, sir. The site is just on the other side of that big hill there, but we have to go around it. Jordan nodded and settled back into his seat as the glass rolled back up. They had been in the car for over two hours, and he was getting restless. For the thousandth time since leaving Atlanta, Jordan studied his brother. Carmine had slept the bulk of both the flight and the car trip, but he was awake then and staring out the window with a scowl on his face. The wounds he had taken in Atlanta were all but gone. His eyes were no longer bloody, his teeth had all grown back, and the other visible wounds were little more than bruises. Another few hours and the only thing remaining of the fight would be the gaps in his facial tattoos. How are you feeling? Jordan asked him. Carmine kept his gaze out the window and responded with a noncommittal grunt. I want another shot at Trent. The bastard bloodied me. Jordan was silent. Carmine had always been the more hot-headed and violent of the two of them. There was something about seeing his own blood, though, that drove him into a murderous rage. Jordan still remembered the first time it had happened. Carmine had been teasing another of the young teens in the foster home they were assigned to, and the boy had finally snapped and punched Carmine in the lip. Carmine had seen blood on his fingers and flown into a rage that ended with him smashing the boy's skull with a rock. Jordan had helped him hide the body, and they had been on the run ever since. They'd done whatever to survive, and that eventually landed them in prison. That's where the progeny found them. That's when the seer changed everything for them. You'll get your chance. Jordan said. Those sentry people are always showing up. I think now that they know about us and we know about Trent and Sims, they'll be looking for a chance to nab us. Carmine grunted again. I guess we got a little cocky, huh? You think? 
Can't really blame us, though. I mean, we were supposed to be the only ones. That we were. Things are always changing, though. Carmine watched the darkening desert race by. I really, really want to kill that red-headed slut, too. Jordan nodded at that. He wouldn't mind a few minutes alone with her and a really sharp knife himself. What the hell are we even doing here? Carmine said. Are we supposed to be grabbing somebody in this crap heap? No, check your email. Ricky sent us the info. Apparently the seer wants us here for his big reveal. He says all the people we've grabbed has led up to this and it's gonna change the world and blah, blah, blah. Whatever. So long as we get ours, Carmine said. Always, Jordan said. They rode in silence for the next few minutes. The car eventually turned onto a dirt road that led to what looked like an old three-story brick warehouse with a rusted and partially collapsed chain-link fence surrounding it. As they approached, two men with low-slung submachine guns stopped them at the gate. They had a quick conversation with the driver and then waved them into the small facility. The driver guided the vehicle through the lengthening shadows and parked behind the building. He got out and opened the back door on Jordan's side. If there had ever been a parking lot, the desert had long ago reclaimed it. Dirt and scrub grass was all that was underfoot, and as Jordan waited for Carmine to get out of the car, he noticed an ancient, rusted sign next to a heavy steel door that read, Black Star Meat Packing, Employees Only. I'll show you in, the driver said. It gets really dark out here at night. Jordan and Carmine followed him into the building. The old but still sturdy door closed behind them with a heavy sound that echoed through the abandoned structure. The driver pulled out a flashlight and shone it ahead. That, added to the small amount of dying light that filtered through the six-foot-tall windows, illuminated a large open space filled with debris and graffiti. Bulky, rusting machines of some kind with thick pipes and huge pulley wheels stood in the middle of the space. The whole of the room was framed by unsteady metal stairwells that led up to catwalks and small offices above. The age of the place was an oppressive presence. Where the fuck are we? Carmine asked. This is the Black Star Meatpacking Facility, the driver said. The place saw its heyday back in the early 1900s. It was a small one even by the standards of that time, but it was enough to employ enough people to found the town back there. The owner, a man named Owen Josephson, named the town after his daughter. Jordan looked at Carmine in surprise. How the hell do you know that? Carmine asked the driver. He looked back at Carmine. I'm a driver and a guard, sir. That means I spend a lot of time sitting around with nothing to do. I got into the habit of reading up on the places I worked just to pass the time. How long have you been here? Jordan asked. About three months, the driver said, while they excavated the basement. See, Josephson was one of the faithful. He picked this out-of-the-way spot for a very specific reason. You'll see. This way, please. They followed the driver through the rusted-out machinery and debris until they came to another door that was at the back of the building. They entered it and found a stairwell leading down in a series of switchbacks that eventually led out into a huge brick-walled basement. Gasoline engines emitted gentle purrs and powered the heavy halogen lights that illuminated the large space and, most of all, 
the gaping hole in one of the brick walls. The driver put away his flashlight and led them through the hole in the wall and down a tunnel of natural stone that had been shored up with support beams and floored with wide sheets of thick, well-worn plywood. At the end of the tunnel, the sounds of more generator engines blended with the sounds of men working and yelling to one another. They exited the tunnel into a small chamber that seemed to open into another, larger one farther on. When they stepped into the light, a familiar face turned to greet them. There they are, Ricardo Barranco said. He wasn't a tall man, but he carried himself like he could dunk on an NBA professional, despite carrying a few dozen excess pounds around the waist. Even in the filthy conditions that the cave provided, he wore a dark silk shirt with a cream-colored linen suit that contrasted his dark Cuban features. His black hair was perfectly styled, and he wore a dark goatee on a full round face. I was starting to think you'd miss it, he said with a smile and handshake for both the brothers. Miss what, Carmine said. Why are we in a damned cave? Ricardo gestured them toward the far side of the chamber where it opened up into the larger one. As they reached the opening, he waved his hand in a wide, slow arc and said, This is why. Jordan took in the sight and found himself speechless. He was standing on a ledge overlooking a bowl-shaped cavern that was a little larger than a high school gymnasium. The sides of the bowl were carved into terraces that all radiated out and up from a central point at the bottom. This point held a large stone table, and each of the terraces was lined with identical tables. Workmen scurried between them, clearing away tools and moving their work lights to the highest points so that the whole of the chamber was bathed in light. Carved from the living bedrock, Ricardo said in a hushed, wonder-filled voice. The bones of the world. The story is that Owen Josephson, the original owner, received a vision from the dwellers between that this place would be needed and that he should build it. So he did. He built the plant above it and used a labor force of the faithful to carve out this chamber. Then he sanctified it and waited. Sadly, he didn't live long enough to see this day come. What's sanctified mean? Carmine asked. He bathed the central altar in the blood of the beloved, another voice said from behind them in even androgynous tones. In this case, his daughters. The three men turned to face the speaker and immediately nodded their heads in a greeting of respect. The seer returned the nod, but remained expressionless. He was tall, easily as tall as Carmine, and slender. His hair was as black as onyx and hung in straight shiny panels down to his shoulders, from a perfectly straight part in the center of his scalp. It framed his long, angular face and matched his frightening eyes, which were solid black with no hint of white or any kind of pupil. His skin was pale to the point that Jordan wondered if he was an albino. His clothes were all black and consisted of a tab-collared shirt tucked tightly into a pair of black slacks over shiny black shoes. A silver chain and medallion hung about his neck. Seer, Ricardo said, nearly bowing. Thank you for joining us, sir. Calm yourself, Ricardo, the seer said. We are all where we are meant to be. Welcome, Jordan and Carmine Screed. I am glad you received a chance to rest during your journey to this place. Thank you, seer, Jordan said. Look, about what happened in Atlanta, 
the seer raised a hand and said, Let me stop you there. Events in Atlanta played out exactly as I foresaw. There is no need for you to explain anything. Jordan winced when Carmine said, Wait, you mean you knew we were going to get our asses kicked? I did, the seer said. Well, why the fuck didn't you warn us? Carmine snapped. Jordan was about to say something to calm his brother when the seer said, Carmine, might I borrow your cell phone? I left mine in the car. Carmine hesitated, then touched lightly at his pockets. Sorry, I think I left it on the plane. No, you didn't. You dropped it in that parking lot in Atlanta. Miss Sims found it, and thanks to your total lack of regard for electronic security, Sentry now has everything they need to find this place. Jordan and Ricardo both turned slow, angry stares toward Carmine. Ricardo's face grew red. Seer, I humbly ask forgiveness for my agent's lack of discipline. There is no need. I was, in fact, counting on Carmine's free-spirited attitude to provide our enemies with what they required. But they're coming, Ricardo stammered, now of all times. Faith, Ricardo. Mrs. Warburton and her sentry group have other issues on their plate. They will not come in force, but will only send their strongest. Trent, Carmine growled. Most definitely, the seer said. What about Sims? Jordan asked. That one vexes me, the seer said. There is something in her awakening that makes her difficult to see, and the dwellers between have not seen fit to clear my vision. My instincts tell me she will not be far from Mr. Trent, though, so we will make preparations for both of them. Preparations? You mean a trap, right? Jordan said. I do. We will prepare for them, we will capture them, and then we will use them as the final sacrifices to bring our Lord and Master into this world so that he may claim it for his own. I don't hate that plan, Carmine said. I'm so very glad you approve, the seer said. Now, take a few minutes to start your preparations, but return within the hour. I want the two of you by my side for the first sacrifice. I will complete the whole of the ritual while you deal with the sentry team. Why not just do it all at once? Carmine asked. Get this shit over with. I'll help. A portal of this magnitude cannot be suddenly opened, the seer said. The mistakes we made in Toronto, Oceanside, and Mexico City proved that. No, it must be a gradual build, a black sun rising for the first time in millions of years. Now, go and return. The sacrifices will be in place shortly. The three men nodded in respect again and turned to go. Oh, and Carmine, the seer said, the next time you feel the urge to speak to me in anger, please remember that what I awakened in you, I can just as easily suppress again and then moderate your tone toward me. This is your only warning. Carmine's face flushed, and then he stammered a quick, Yes, sir, as he left the chamber. As it turned out, the preparations were minimal since Ricardo had already started them under the seer's instructions. Jordan appreciated the simple elegance of the plan and had few suggestions to offer. He was, after all, a thief at heart, 
so unit tactics and planning weren't something he specialized in. Carmine, for his part, just wanted to know where to stand and at what point he could start hitting Israel Trent. It was a little over an hour later that they found themselves at the bottom of the sacrificial chamber, staring down at the naked body of a pale, overweight woman in her early thirties. Her flabby chest rose and fell in a steady, drug-induced sleep. Jordan thought he remembered grabbing her, but couldn't be sure. There'd been so many that the faces just blurred together in his mind's eye. He and Carmine flanked the seer on either side as he spoke to the gathered faithful, who ringed the lip of the chamber. There were maybe a hundred of them, and Jordan could see Ricardo as well as the driver among the crowd, each face hanging on the seer's words of change and promises of reward. When he finished, the gathered men all put both their fists flat against their chests and, in perfect unison, chanted, Darkness comes, darkness comes. Darkness comes. Then it was silent save for the purring hum of the generators. The men in attendance stood looking down at them in rapt fascination. The seer put his hands palm up in front of his chest and closed his eyes to concentrate. It was much the same as he'd done when he'd awakened Jordan and Carmine. This is a special place, the seer whispered, low enough that only the screeds could hear. The skin of this world is thinner here. It is why it was chosen. This ritual in this place with this many sacrifices will open the wider portal for our Lord. Each sacrifice will make a larger tear. Each drop of blood will smooth his passing. Dark purple light started swirling between the seer's palms like mist. The twin clouds of light swirled into tiny vortices and then stretched out toward one another until they met and formed a horizontal column between the seer's hands. Silver sparks flashed through the column. This world will belong to our Lord and his kind, the seer kept whispering. But the chosen among us, the paragons of their will, will be as kings among swine, new gods in our own right. He pressed his hands and the glowing vortex against the woman, one hand at her navel, the other at the base of her throat. The vortex vanished into her skin. Light shone from underneath the seer's palms and they slowly faded. The woman didn't respond to any of it. The seer let out a long, slow breath and pulled a long knife from a sheath at his hip. It was nearly a foot long with a wide, thick blade that was razor sharp along one edge and finally serrated along the other. He held the blade up so that it caught the light. The slightest of murmurs ran through the crowd above. These assembled faithful, he continued in his low voice, have served us well. Their service, though, is far from over, brothers. They will be risen to a new level of servitude and made into the first of our foot soldiers. The seer raised the blade point down over the woman's chest. Don't be afraid, he whispered. We are paragons. We will not be harmed. The knife fell and buried itself between the woman's breasts with a meaty sound. Blood sprayed from the wound and Jordan stepped back as the seer used the blade's serrated edge to saw through his victim's sternum on its way to her navel. The scent of blood and viscera filled the chamber. When it was done, the seer stepped back with scarlet dripping from his pale face. He stared at the corpse in wonder with his black eyes and said aloud, The portal has opened.
a cheer rose from the gathered throng. The woman's body twitched, convulsed, and then ruptured. The seer stepped away from the sacrifice as black, oily mist poured from the savaged body and over the sacrificial table. It collected on the floor, heavy and low-lying until it swirled around Jordan's ankles. He itched to get out of it, to get out of this place entirely, but then he remembered the seer's words and held his ground. Then something solid moved over his foot like a jellyfish, and he jerked his foot upwards with a curse. Steady, Paragon, the seer said. Your kingdom is at hand. A glistening black shape the size of a hotel bath towel burst flapping from the low-lying mist. It streaked through the air like a bird of prey and slapped itself against the nearest workman's face. The man let out a sudden scream that was quickly reduced to a choking gag. The sound was like a starter's pistol. More of the black flapping masses erupted from the mist and sailed toward the nearest of the assembled men. Jordan saw the driver go down with a flat sheet of oily black covering his face. Most of the men screamed and rushed toward the exits. A cloud of oily black monsters swooped overhead and descended on them like a nightmarish rainfall. Jordan watched wide-eyed as it happened. He saw Ricardo get up from the mud, his linen suit a mess, and look out over the chamber. He wasn't on his feet a second before one of the black things slapped into him and knocked him down again. The three paragons at the altar were the only men standing now, but still the things kept coming. They circled overhead like bats, the flapping sound they made drowning out the generator hum. Jordan's hair rustled in the breeze they created. Don't worry, Jordan, the seer said over the noise. Within this holy chamber, we are safe from them. Watch. Jordan was already watching. Men were starting to rise in slow, jerking motions. The things that covered their heads were starting to sprout thin tentacles that rose in slimy stalks like a plant breaking free of the soil. The men staggered about, searching. If we were up there, the seer said, they would attack without hesitation. Within this holy place, though, we are protected. See, even the remaining sacrifices are untouched. The seer pointed. Jordan hadn't noticed, but he was right. The sacrifices were all still lying unaware and sedated. Why? Jordan asked. What good are these things if they're willing to attack us? Only for now, the seer said. Only until the ritual is finished and the other sacrifices are added to this one. Then our master will walk among us and they will obey him and, through him, us. Jordan nodded and tried to keep his feelings of disgust from shining through. Every fiber of him was screaming to get out, to run from this place and never return. He looked at his brother. Carmine was looking up and grinning. He noticed Jordan and said, this is fucking awesome. They have caught the scent, the seer said, pointing. Jordan looked up. The things that had only minutes before been men were shambling away from the lip of the chamber and into the tunnel that led up to the old Black Star plant. Over their heads, the black things flapped in a steady stream in the same direction. Jordan realized what scent the seer had meant. It looked like Letitia, Texas, would be a ghost town after all. Chapter 24
So much as twitch too fast, Israel, John said, and my people will fill you with enough voltage to light up Times Square. Israel's eyesight was still awash in white, but he could make out blurry masses. He was pretty sure there were six men in the room besides John. Each of them seemed to be positioned near one of the original six and were either aiming a weapon at them or putting handcuffs on their wrists. John was busy stomping out a small fire where one of the flashbang grenades had set the carpet alight. Agent Brindley, someone said, we've secured this wing and Agent Nomura and his team are seven minutes out. Thanks, John said, stomping out the last of the flames. Someone retched and the room was suddenly filled with the scent of bile. Damn it, Allison, John said. Somebody open a window before we all gag. There was movement around him as Israel tried to blink away his blindness. The blurry masses seemed to be resolving themselves into overlapping shapes. Aaron? Israel said to the room. There was no reply. She's fine, John said. I just don't think she can hear you at the moment. She was really close to one of those bangers. John? It was Michelle's voice. What are you doing? Israel watched as an overlapping trio of John Brindley's walked over and knelt next to Michelle. I'm really sorry about this, babe, John said in a gentle tone. I really am. Thing is, it's my job, my real job, not the crap I did around here trying to keep the monsters in the zoo. Israel could hear the tears in Michelle's voice. But we were... You bastard. How could you do that? Well, it was part of the cover. I mean... I needed to show that I intended to stick around for the long haul, you know. What better way than to date one of the century elite? Now, I'm not stupid enough to think we can get past this, but I want you to know that I don't regret a moment with you. We really had some laughs. Try to hang on to that. You know, mate, Stone growled, I understand doing your duty, but one day there'll be a reckoning for what you did with the girl there. Oh, Mr. Stone, my favorite Martian. Of course, you aren't really from Mars, I guess, but still, the comparison stands. Do you even know where he's from, Olivia? John, you and all your friends here are fired, she said. Her usual assertive tone was softened by her obvious discomfort. John laughed. Fair enough, I suppose. Guess it's a good thing I have this whole federal agent thing to fall back on. Israel's vision was focusing more quickly now. Michelle and Allison were both on the couch with an agent covering them with a taser. Warburton and Stone were still behind her desk with an agent pointing a pistol at them. Aaron was on her feet but was leaning with her face against the wall and her hands cuffed behind her. A third agent was just out of reach behind her with a taser leveled at the center of her back. Israel was still kneeling on the floor, there was a trio of agents around him, each with a taser pointed at him. All of them were just out of arm's reach and looked scared to be there. Israel figured there was no way to make a move at one without the other two firing on him. It's a real bitch, isn't it? John said. King of the undead, but a little electricity shuts you down like an unplugged fridge. What do you think, Allison? Does that have something to do with him needing all that brain and spinal tissue? Never mind, it doesn't really matter. That's for the boys in the Discovery branch to figure out. I just know it works, and it's going to get me a huge promotion. Aaron, Israel said. You good? These guys are just doing their job. Aaron responded with a muffled grunt. Hey, shut up, Trent, John said. 
Nomura wants the two of you walking and talking for some reason, but piss me off and I'll have my people zap you and take my chances. Aaron's invisibility trick won't do you a bit of good now. Besides that, you've got some dead agents to answer for in Atlanta. Israel shook his head. That wasn't me. The Screeds killed those men. John looked confused. What's a Screed? It's a who, Agent Dumbass. Carmine and Jordan Screed. They work for the progeny. The other dead guy in Atlanta was one of them. Big guy with tattoos on his face. His body would have been hard to miss even for you jokers. The only bodies we found were our agents, John said. Israel took a moment to absorb that. That dude has to be dead, he said. He hit the ground so hard he bounced. What the hell are you talking about? John asked. Aaron started laughing in a slow, chuckling rhythm. John walked over to her and said, And what's so damned funny over here? Aaron's laughter grew a little louder. Hey, slut, John said. I'm talking to you. She laughed a little harder. John reached out and spun her around to face him. What's your problem, whore? He said, leaning in close to her. Aaron was grinning through the bruises on her face. She took a deep breath and said, Invisibility? Man, that's just stupid. There was a metallic clatter as the cuffs on her wrists hit the floor, and she vanished. The rest happened so fast that the non-paragons in the room would remember it as a series of blurs for the rest of their lives. Aaron reappeared behind two of the agents surrounding Israel and put her hands on their shoulders. They instantly disappeared, with Aaron vanishing again right on their heels. As she did this, Israel rolled forward and came up in front of the third agent, snatching the taser out of his hand. Before the man could react, Israel backhanded him hard enough that he heard his jaw dislocate. The agent slumped in a heap at Israel's feet. Lightning fast, Aaron appeared behind the agent covering Stone and Warburton and sent him away. An eye blink later, the woman covering the Brandt sisters was gone. Then Aaron returned to the woman who'd been covering her and sent her away. This left them alone with a shocked and suddenly very frightened John Brindley. Aaron leaned close to the wide-eyed man. Reach for a weapon, Aaron said, and I will send you to the fucking moon. John started to speak, stammered, and then nodded his understanding. He held his palms out and well away from his body. Israel looked at Aaron. Please tell me you didn't. He pointed upwards to finish the question. Only five or ten feet, she said with a dismissive wave. I sent them to Matt's memorial. They should be fine. Michelle said something to Aaron in a low tone. Aaron nodded and reached behind her. Aaron concentrated for a moment and the handcuffs securing Michelle's wrists vanished. Michelle rose and smoothed out the wrinkles in her slacks. Then she walked in calm, measured steps over to Israel. She held out her hand without a word. Israel smiled and handed her the taser. In one smooth motion, she turned and shot John in the chest with it. Agent Brindley dropped like an anchor when the darts hit him. He trembled in tight, rigid convulsions while she held the weapon's trigger down. She did that for a long time before Israel touched her on the shoulder. She looked up at him, still holding the trigger, and then shrugged. She dropped the weapon onto the burnt carpet and went to sit next to her sister. John didn't move except to breathe. Told you, mate, Stone said, 
Now, somebody get these bloody things off my wrists. And close the door, Warburton said. Nomura and the rest of his stormtroopers are still coming. We need to lock down and move quickly. We have five minutes at best. Israel searched the man he had knocked out and found a set of handcuff keys. He went around uncuffing the others while Aaron sent John and the unconscious guard to join their co-workers. Stone slammed the door harder than was strictly necessary, and Olivia used her keyboard to activate the deadbolts. What's our play, Olivia, he said. The progeny comes first, Olivia said. Michelle, do you have any idea where and how soon they plan on opening this breach? Michelle retrieved her tablet from the floor and tapped at it a few times. According to the most recent emails from the phone and Pythia's predictions, they are in a place called Letitia, Texas, and they're there right stinking now. As far as the timetable for the ritual itself, it could be any time in the next 22 hours. You mean that thing could already be open? Israel said. Michelle shrugged. Maybe. Okay, so let's tell the DGRI. They can get a plane to drop a bomb on the place or something. That's what they do, right? It is. It's the only thing they do. The DGRI is a sledgehammer, not a scalpel. If we're wrong about this and there is still a chance we are, they're just as likely to wipe out that town for the sake of thoroughness and then call it an industrial accident. Trust me, we've seen it before, Michelle said. We are always hampered by what we do not yet know, Olivia said. So we must do the best with what we do know and learn more as we go. We need a team on the ground in Texas. Stone turned to Aaron. Can you get us to this town? He asked, hope simmering in his eyes. Aaron shook her head. No, it doesn't work like that, sorry. Can you get us to Vegas? Israel said. That's closer than here, at least. Aaron thought about it. Not all of us. The farther I go, the harder it is, and I've only ever taken Israel with me, which added to it. I guess I'm willing to try with two of you, but I'm not making any promises. Michelle held up her tablet. I've got Letitia mapped. It's a straight-line distance of just under a thousand miles from Vegas. Do we have anything in Las Vegas? Stone said to Olivia. Olivia shook her head. I've already checked. The closest sentry jet is in Washington State. Stone shook his head. Bloody hell, he said. You know who's there, Olivia said. We need to use him. He's a mercenary wanker who I'd just as soon kick in the jewels as look at, Stone growled. Which makes him a resource, Olivia said. Now put it behind you and let's focus on the larger problem, Stone. Stone grumbled something under his breath in a language Israel didn't recognize, but nodded his assent nonetheless. All right, then, Olivia said. Stone, you're with Aaron and Israel. Aaron, Israel, Stone is in charge. You might be paragons, but he's been fighting progeny since before either of you were twinkles in your father's eyes. Listen to him and you'll see the sun come up. Michelle, Allison, you're with me. Send all the information you've compiled to Mr. Stone's phone and then get to work on a plan to deal with a breach of this size in case it comes to that. What about you? Israel asked. Olivia Warburton responded with the first genuine smile Israel had ever seen cross her face. It was an expression that would have looked matronly on another woman, but made her look just a little bit crazy. 
Don't you worry about me, she said. There are a few senators I've shelled out good money and favors to over the last few years. I think it's time to put them to good use. You should contact the arcane, Stone said. I will. Now get out of here. Call me as soon as you have any solid information. I'll keep Nomura and the DGRI off your scent for as long as I can. Aaron had been standing still, concentrating. She held her hands out, palm up, for the two men to take them. Israel did so without hesitating. Stone stared at her for a moment and then gently grabbed her hand. Don't worry, Stoney, she said, tightening her grip on his hand. This isn't my first threesome. Serious, Israel started. What did... Stone began at the same time. The three of them were gone before either had a chance to finish. They reappeared on the roof of the Mandalay Bay Hotel on the Las Vegas Strip, the same place Aaron had stood when she'd last been in the city. Stone staggered forward as soon as they appeared, and Aaron leaned into Israel, nearly falling. Okay, she said. That sucked a little. Israel supported her as she shook her head and regained her balance. Once she was steady on her feet and assuring him she was fine, he looked up and said, Stone, you with us? Right as rain, he said in a voice that contradicted the words. How you can do that without your stomach turning inside out is beyond me. Well, Aaron said, I've gotten used to it and Israel's dead, so it works for us. Israel gave her a flat look. Really, shut up. I just need a tick here, Stone said. Then he looked around and said, Why are we on a roof? She's got a thing for them, Israel said. She thinks she's Batgirl. And now you can shut up, Aaron said, slapping him on the arm. This is just a place I remembered well enough to get to. We can get to street level and then take a cab to wherever we need to go. Yeah, Israel said. Where is that exactly? Who's this person you don't want to call? Stone sighed and ground his teeth together as he spoke. Carter, he said. Carter Black. And we don't like him because he used to work for Sentry. Now he doesn't, and I don't like him for it. That's what you need to know. Now give me a minute, and I'll make the call. Stone walked away with his back to them. He pulled out a cell phone and started tapping at it. What is it with these people and giving up details? Aaron said to Israel. He shrugged. I guess you spend your life on one side of a secret world and it becomes second nature. We'd better get used to it. What do you mean? Just what I said. This is our life now. I can't exactly go on a job interview and explain away my unique medical condition. I'd sooner jump off this building than work for the DGRI. That leaves sentry. Besides that, they seem best equipped to help me with, well, me. Maybe. Aaron said, no offense, but I'm not in the same boat as you. I can tell Warburton to kiss my ass and go wherever I want. And do what? I don't know. I just know that whatever it ends up being, it will be totally my choice. Okay, but at least with these guys, you can be relatively sure you're fighting the good fight. Yeah, if I wanted to spend my whole life fighting. I mean, I'll see all this shit through to the end, but after that, no promises. I might just go live on a beach somewhere and sip margaritas for the rest of my life. You'd get bored, Israel said. I'm willing to risk it. All right, Stone said. He's meeting us on the street in front of this place in about 15 minutes. Cool, Aaron said, holding out her hand to him. 
There's an alley across the strip that I can see from here. Or, Stone said, we can take an elevator down like normal people who don't want to spend the next half hour vomiting. Really, Aaron, that thing you do makes me feel like I just rode a roller coaster on a full stomach. Like you in the helicopter, remember? Aaron glared at Stone. Israel made a mental note to ask about that later. Fine, she said. We'll meet you down there. No, we stay together, Stone said in a tone that defied argument. Aaron raised a finger to point it at Stone, but Israel stopped her with a gentle hand on her wrist. He's right, he said. We need to stay together. There's no telling what might happen if we separate. Listen to him, Stone said. Then hear me. From this point forward, we are a sentry field team. That means we have to work together and do whatever it takes to achieve our goal. This is what I do, so you need to listen to me and do as I say, whether it makes sense to you or not and whether you like it or not. Clear? Israel nodded. Aaron stared at Stone and finally said, Yeah, fine, whatever. Good enough, Stone said. The door is over there. Thanks for listening this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Sorceress as much as we enjoy bringing it to you. Remember to come back next week or subscribe at SerialAudio.com so you never miss a new episode. You can learn more about this podcast and other serialized fiction shows by visiting our website at SerialAudio.com. That's all one word, SerialAudio.com where you can subscribe to this and our other shows via RSS, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast players. While you're at it, if you're enjoying this podcast, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends. Even better, if you have a few spare seconds, leave a review on iTunes. To help support this show, sign up as a patron at patreon.com slash serial audio. You'll get early access to episodes ad-free and special bonuses like behind-the-scenes author and narrator interviews. Thank you again from all of us at SerialAudio.com. It's totally binge-worthy. Cause we warriors. Cause we warriors. Let's